2: Hello and welcome to the AEW Rampage review. I'm Michael Sidgwick, joined by fellow Dudley Boy Michael Humphlet to discuss everything that happened on Friday's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where, you, where we review AEW Rampage, AEW Dynamite, WWE Raw, SmackDown, <laughs> NXT 2.0 <laughs> pay-per-views, premium live events. We have wrestler interviews, roundtable discussions, and we host a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. But Hamlet, Monday morning, Friday is long in the air uh, review. Uh what were your general thoughts on Rampage?
1: Um well they were very, very general thoughts because I've got to be honest, it was a bit of a raced watch today. I didn't have the time I would have quite liked this weekend to watch it with certain very progressive wrestling shows taking yep. up much of my time. Um on the surface level and I'm looking forward to getting at the more granular side of things polished, neat, tidy, good one hour um justification of why one-hour wrestling shows are probably the best of all of us but still very little that leaves me chomping at the bit thinking well, I've got to tune in next week's Rampage there is nothing I don't think at this point they can do to shake the B show tag even when an episode is objectively pretty decent
2: yeah no I have to agree with that the days of them doing Brandon Danielson versus Eddie Kingston and mm. oh my god it's a classic It's if this was on a pay-per-view people would be talking about it for years and years and years that sort of stratospheric standard just isn't being hit anymore Nine times out of 10, we are left with a really enjoyable, digestible 7.5 out of week that when it's done, you're like, I really enjoyed that. That was a nice way to spend my Friday evening or Saturday morning, depending on which side of the pond you reside There's more than two countries, but you know exactly (laughs) what I mean. Um, So, yeah, I was really happy with the main event in particular. Um, Nice to see a guy who, realistically, I can't deal with clap crowds all that often. My New Japan watching has tailed off, so it's nice to be reminded that, you know what, J.Y. absolutely rules, and we'll get into that. But before we get into the main event, of course, let's go chronologically with the opener. It was Adam Cole versus 10 of the Dark Order, Uh, the story of the match, essentially. Is that ten is a huge guy who can he was capable of tossing Adam McCool around at will, but he's got an injured body part which um, Adam Cole targets relentlessly, and um, he takes away the wrapping from the knee um, and he cuts it down to size um, throughout before snapping off a German suplex. Um, Adam Cole rebounds from that, starts picking away at that injury. And throughout the match, he just gradually cuts him down to size. Um, 10 does have one awesome fire-up spot where he just throws a lariat right in Adam Cole's neck. And he bumps onto the other side of his neck. It looked absolutely great. But 10 is limited, powerful, but limited Adam Cole is a sly, strategic technician, great counter-wrestler. That comes into the fore, and the story of the match basically is that Adam Cole is facing a guy who is more powerful than him with a move that requires his knees and thighs to spring into, that being the bookshot lariat um, ahead of the match with Hangman Page at Revolution. So I interpreted this match as no one really wants to see Adam Cole versus 10 realistically, mm. but people want a sort of inkling of the story we're going to get at Revolution, and I was overjoyed to realize they are not going to do 40 minutes of NXT parody with shocked kick-out faces and multiple near-falls. We are going to get Adam Cole brilliantly deconstructing the legs of Hangman Page to prevent him from hitting the bookshot Lariat, and I thought this match was a reasonable enough um, attempt to be able to Tell that story, and that hence why 10 was selected as the opponent. I've been a little bit low on 10. I feel like, in this promotion, especially the fact that he's as green and as limited as he is, gets completely exposed because it's just wall to wall brilliance across a, a diverse array of styles. But I thought you did a commendable job here. That fire up spot that I talked about was tremendous. But this story was basically Adam Cole has got it in him to completely. Kneecap, hangman, page, and prevent him from hitting the buckshot. Uh, what are your thoughts on the on the match? I think it's a pairing
1: um, I like more about it after the fact than I did beforehand. So the match you can like classify as yep. a success ten. And I've thought this before, but I guess because he's not often profiled. Uh, He's just not in your purview, I suppose, but 10 is an interesting um, member of the AW roster in the sense that in much the same way Brian Danielson came in and size didn't matter or the fact that he didn't eat meat didn't matter. The fact that he was a great wrestler, a fantastic fighter, a purveyor of violence, all that sort of stuff made him what he was in this environment. 10 is big. But being big isn't enough in a competitive wrestling organization, despite what we've been trained by the market leader for all of this yeah. time. So ten size is only going to get him so far against such a skilled practitioner like Adam Cole. Much in the same way that John Moxley is smaller than ten, but John Moxley is also a bit harder and street like sort of more streetwise than ten and thus was able to it was ten he bloodied up under the mask, isn't yes, it, you know? Despite having the size of him. If that happens on a raw. Like, Moxley and Adam Cole are getting beaten in three or four minutes despite a gutsy effort. They're getting beat with a tree slam or something like that. And I think that's a useful tool for E. W. is to have a guy who's big as him. And yes, he's green, but he's got, in, he's got more than just the odd power spot to his game. But it's really helpful in getting a guy like Adam Cole ready for a title match because it's where he's got everything. What can't he do? Like If he can chop down this tree, then he can definitely beat Hangman Page. And equally, it sort of tacitly puts over the likes of your Wardlow's and your powerhouse Hobbs. And, you know, we're going to talk a bit more about the yeah. state of that ladder match already. But as big guys need more in their arsenal than just to be big here in AEW because the standard is simply too high, it's being six foot and jacked or like six foot tall and well, six, foot six foot wide... Well, yes, I've heard. Like, so is Zach Jr. It's wild. But, like, um, yeah, being six foot tall and six foot wide or being jacked is simply not enough. And I think they were sort of, on a macro level, I think I enjoyed this more and saw the benefit of 10 after that really shonky security beatdown thing on Wednesday. And, again, like, I know we try, we always get teased in uh, attacking the bad faith arguments when we do these AW reviews. But Adam Cole opens Rampage all the time. What does that tell you about the trust they have in Adam Cole to reheat a crowd that are knackered from dynamite? Like, this is a star in the place he needs to be and not somebody doing bits with his mates, as seems
2: to be this odd narrative now. Imagine, like, being happy at work. I know. It's just uh, absolutely incredible, but it's all completely in bad faith. Before we move on, I will put over 10 selling. I think the visual of the knee brace helped enormously because... We've seen guys wear knee braces before. And it's a massive also, brace because he's a massive man. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of synonymous with, oh, that guy's got absolutely broken knees. But I think Tend did a commendable job of actually selling um, this sort of deconstruction of the limb. This is all a solid bit of business. Um, if you haven't watched Rampage yet, maybe skip it um, unless you're a huge 10 guy. But the basic gist is Adam Cole is not going to do an NXT match at mm. Revolution, and I'm overjoyed by that. <laughs> um, I think this is Tony Khan's way of saying, look, Adam Cole's different here, and he's probably going to be a little bit better. Yeah. Even though, like... I don't call was great in NXT, but I didn't need a sinister structure. Yes. At the end yeah. of the day, uh, we got a brief look at the MGF um, CM Punk um, story so far as we are um, doing the big sell um, ahead of Revolution, on the subject of which there was a qualifying match to determine who's the next entrant in the face of the Revolution ladder match between Powerhouse Hobbs versus Dante Martin. Exactly the kind of story you would expect. Dante Martin just flying with his convoluted sort of. Rotations brilliantly into the face of powerhouse Hobbs, who, in response, being absolutely awesome as a horse, beals him across the ring. I think bealing and yeeting is going to be a huge factor yeah. in this um, ladder match. I think. Darby Allin, particularly, is just going to get thrown around that ring mm-hmm. with the idea that he's going to have a breakthrough performance. Even if he doesn't win, everyone's going to remember it, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, again, that incredible dive. It was a tornado, I believe, um, temporarily subdued um, powerhouse Hobbs. They worked certain sequences around the strength versus aerial um, dynamic that these two have. I thought this was a lot tighter than their previous two matches, which I thought was sort of undermined by certain moments of hesitation. They're both not exactly the most experienced of guys. This is a lot tighter. It was a story that they can tell very well indeed. Um, I couldn't tell whether the spinebuster finish was anticlimactic because I haven't been trained to really take it seriously as a finish, but it just looked so gruesome that when it finished, I was like, okay, Mm. no one's kicking out of that. And I really like a nice rudimentary use of a wrestling move that if you can put it over, something that is used as a signature can in fact be reimagined as a finisher. Of the guy executing it does such a tremendous job. Powerhouse Hobbs did precisely that. I was a little bit mixed on the finish because I thought Powerhouse Hobbs was great in this match. I do like the uh, the idea of them putting three absolutely huge monsters in the field, a different dynamic to a ladder match, which is basically a multi-man ladder match, is an excuse to do spots. Yeah, but when you've got Dante Martin doing those spots, give me that excuse. Mm. So it's a little bit odd that he wasn't included. I understand that it's wrapped up in the ongoing Team Taz versus Dante Martin storyline, so I understand why he was put. Ongoing,
1: match. or is it just going on? It's just right, going, the, yeah, yeah.
2: No, there is that element as well. I personally would not have put Dante Martin in this spot if you were going to cruelly tease the idea. Of him doing absolutely spectacular jaw-dropping stuff in a ladder-match environment, but it's all redundant. He's not in it. What are your thoughts on the winner and the match? Um, In terms of the match, I would agree with you that
1: I think it's the best I've seen from these two. It was... uh, You're kind of watching this like the presentation of this in terms of the Team Taz, Donny Martin thing. I've been like, why are you lying? Why are you trying to tell me that there's still somehow heat in this? It's a nice... Booking of these two old rivals from this long-standing thing, but nobody cares about this anymore. That like the feud kind of ran out of juice without ever really having a proper payoff. If anything, this served as that. I love um the I love the finish. I love the spine buster win. AEW does this all the time. People win matches, and it almost feels like it. Uh, it's the air coming out of the balloon, but it's. Happens that one time for it to work 10 more times, either with the finishes or with near falls. Yep. As we talked about secondary moves being like perfectly viable finishes. A lot of wrestlers have a pinfall finish and a submission finish for such occasions. And the tap outs don't always resonate first time, but then it only takes one. And after the fact, you've got it and you can use it. So I really like that finish. I like to see it. I like the idea. Again, it's, mac- it's bigger picture stuff, macro more than micro. You need to be reminded that a match can just end through a move being good enough. And this is useful for that. Um, In terms of Martin not being in the match, I keep sniffing around the Darius Martin injury news updates, and I can't find them. And Wrestling Brain leads me to believe that that means he's getting good to go. And on the Dynamite uh, review last week, I made mention that I wonder if this triple threat is an intentional red herring and it's maybe not going to be Young Bucks and Red Dragon as simplistically as we believe. What about Top Flight in there instead? as the real gutsy underdogs, put Young Bucks or Red Dragon in. Is it the casino in the second week? Yes. Like, top flight as the casino battle royale, like the surprise, the jokers of the um casino battle royale would be quite a nice way to insert them into the match when everybody at this point will be expecting, well, it's probably going to be Red Dragon that qualify first, isn't it? So everybody's going to be expecting the Young Bucks to get the spot. And I just think that, I think it'd be quite nice if they played with people's expectations a little bit, because right now, It's a bit petrolly spoken, isn't it? This triple threat tag match. You know what they're doing. You can see why. Not completely against it, but I'd love it if it was just to kind of like stop us looking at something different. So maybe that's why Martin's lost here. Is there something different and just as exciting for him on the Revolution card?
2: Yeah, I hope so. Um, I hope that in. Indeed, is the case. Um, we get a little bit of a setup for a match on Dynamite next week. Um, Jade Cargill wants her next opponent so here's Matt Hardy, interrupter <coughs> extraordinaire alongside the bunny. He thinks it'll be a money match and Cargill's fine with that because she smells looks and sounds like money and in fact she's wearing money on her oh. ear. It's an incredible look and just in case people didn't know the backstory she wore something quite similar like the full bodysuit gimmick in silver and someone on Twitter responded with a JPEG of of Jim Carrey playing the Riddler in Batman Forever mm. in a beta to take the piss out of her. Jade Cargill, in response, went, that's an absolutely fire look. I will take that on and make it look cool. And lo and behold, she, in fact, literally looks like money. Um, it's more preview for us. Let's just talk about the attire, because I know you love the attire. It's just incredible. Like, you absolutely cannot take your eyes off
1: a look as cool as that. And it's just another element that Jade Cargill is understanding how it is that you... It's the Jim Ross, you know, maxim, about maximizing your minutes, but she does that a point in her career where it's probably most important to do that because her matches will be scrutinised and people will be looking to see exactly, if, you know, what she gets wrong or what isn't quite right or finished about her article yet. And the, even, like, the whole thing from a few weeks ago, like, green is money. So she's even taken that criticism and just added it to this character. Yeah. It's a perfect um a stylistic choice she's continues for me to be the perfect champion for this role as well because the TBS like the TNT title is going to allow open challenges so Matt Hardy bringing the bunny on they couldn't feel any less essential to all of this but great cuz Jade's going to absolutely smash them on dynamite so that's like all rampage whenever is it Wednesday's it's dynamite? Uh, Wednesday's wednesday dynamite wednesday yeah. yeah like they've i well, wouldn't bunny's s- the real head of the table, so I should get a number <laughs> <laughs> you should she's like the like the like quarter hour queen isn't she so yeah. it's um bunny's money so <laughs> I, I want to see it If only for Watching this Jade Cargill Just dominate Yet again So it's not As far as like Those weird Interrupting impromptu builds go It's far from
2: the worst Yeah Absolutely But um, I still don't like interruptions, but when you're interrupting that person, you just sort of forget that there's been an interruption. You just look at a dollar bill just right in front of you. Is that because you were slightly sickened by every time they do a little tease that Matt Hardy's going
1: weird again? Yeah. Because we all know where that's going. Well,
2: yes, actually, that's a good point because Matt Hardy is just like such <laughs> bollocks foreshadowing and hinting, like AEW love, the purveyors of the teas, mm. the Easter egg, him doing the Team Extreme hand sign in someone's face. It's, oh, Jeff is coming in then. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't mind. It's just it's one of those things where, like, I know how w, uh, AEW Freudian slip uh, do their story <laughs> We're going to get four months. Do we respect you or not? Find out in four months when we eventually do the friggin' match. I think Tony Khan's big surprise is uh, he's been on the phone to Lita. Maybe. It's <laughs>
1: so, like, so, like, when you finish with that, I, I think I need you for this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how these are going to go down, but
2: we're, we're doing it whether I really want it or not lead in a moonsault on Cutler. Yes. That would be awesome. We fixed it.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be... a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com dot slash WhatCulture today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P dot com slash WhatCulture.
2: We finished harder leader. than AW already. Leader. bit of uh, a copy for the next podcast. We're we'll set to record after this. I'd put her in a match in AEW. Yeah, she's not, she's not <laughs> bad. She used to be Canny bad in that. Yeah. It's actually not. Um, on the subject of not bad at all, uh, the third or the fourth matches, if you like, took place. The five-minute professor challenge um, between Serena Deeb and Angelica Risk. Um, it's much of the same as we've seen before, but with a purpose, because the more you do these totally one-sided um, sub-two-minute squashes, when someone goes four or five minutes... It'll actually resonate. But in order to get to that point, you need to do more of this. This being um, Serena Deeb taking total control. Catapult into the bottom rope. Throat looks like it's in agony. Um, She goes for the three count, but she just picks her head up because she just wants to be cruel. And the cruelty manifests as a powerbomb, which sets up the Serenity Lock for the win at under two minutes. I love the timing of this. I love the long-term build of this. I love um, Serena Deeb's performance the way she's just so cruel in her facial expressions and how she decides to just inflict more damage. The it's like a bit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The five minute challenge you can't even last thirty seconds. Yeah. I'm just elongating the time in comfortable time just to be a complete cock about it. Um yeah, nothing blew away. It is all groundwork for the um the finish, but it's all working very well for me. I wish he wasn't knobbing Marty skill. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Serena Dee? <laughs> well I agree with that sentiment, definitely.
1: I the um the I didn't think she'd end up being and this is what only the second one of these. Like, already she's shown how cognizant she is of the clock itself, and that is going to feed into something too. So it's not just about... We've talked about, obviously, how all of this is to be able to, say, somebody coming very close and losing, and then maybe um, she'd have been the one to reveal herself to beat the challenge or whatever, but there's grand comeuppance coming Serena Deeb's way as a result of all of this. But already in the second week, she's looking at the situation and thinking... I've got ages and licking her lips. So like her using the clock as part of the story is going to be great for the week that she's first rattled or she's first panicked by somebody's attack. Somebody is going to run a bit of the clock down and then catch her with something or like put her in a hold, and you're going to see Deeb's eyes flash to the screen where there's going to be three minutes yeah. left, and she's trapped in a leg lock something. Oh, I've got to deal with this. That's just another added element of this. These are going to be five just simply delightful minutes every week for as long as it goes. I love this trope, and they've given it to the perfect wrestler to pull it off as well. It's um, it was weeks ago when you made a point of well, sometimes they'll put a Jade Cargo match on. It'll go sixty seconds. They were like, "There's your woman's match. Yep, yep, nice yep, yep. one. This is." the way to do that, but do it in a way that is actually genuinely rewarding. It doesn't feel like you're gaming the system a little bit. It feels something different.
2: Yeah, they were definitely gaming the system because their whole intention the entire time was, we're going to strap up Jade Cargill, therefore we can give her as many wins as possible. We don't have to think of the permutations of how long this winning streak's going on or how long she'll be in the rankings with the idea being, well, we're going to strap her up so we can Mm. just have the token women's match last one minute and just get to the men, get back to the bloody men. This is a much different... I would still... They did it on Dynamite the other week, where it was Serena Deeb's um, five-minute rookie challenge. In addition to another women's match, mm. more of that, please. Otherwise, it might it eventually oh, yeah. scan as a very cynical way of getting the token women's match on television. And uh, before we get to the main event, um, Excalibur, Jesus Christ! Whenever there's a pay-per-view, and now that there's Rampage and Dynamite, the guy is on total <laughs> speed-run form for trying to sell like three cards at once. He does an incredible job. Um, do they get criticized or it's memed? I just think it is a great job, and I can, you know, I'm not a goldfish, so I can actually remember what matches are happening when. So that was a little bit funny, and we don't have the soundboard because we're not Adam Wilborn, yes. but it's time for the main event. Okay. It, it's been enough talk. Well, <laughs> it looks like it's been enough talk. It's time for the main event, and that main event is between Trent Barretta and Jay White, and I absolutely love this match. The story of which is that Trent Barretta is a pretty explosive, low-key guy. Um who can do a lot of uh, damage in the ring, but Jay White, who's incredible at the counter... I love counters in professional mm. wrestling. I feel like sometimes it can be a little bit too cute or too convoluted. The genius of Jay White, and I'm not using that word lightly, is that he's so perfectly in character with it. If you look at that horrible, weaselly little face, he can sell the fact that he's so crafty. Yeah. And the craft here and the defensive is manifested um, with some wonderful counters. The one in the uh, at the finish is going to get put over the most, but my favorite was the one that led us to the um, commercial break where he just throws Trent over the top rope and onto the apron, because so often when we watch TV wrestling, we get the rhythms of it now. It's something that you accept, but at some point the heel is going to cut off the baby face, and when the commercial break happens and you get two to three minutes of a control sequence and it's like, get to the point, get to the comeback. Jay White's use of the counter made that sort of TV contrivance that we just have to live with not feel like a contrivance. It felt like it used his defensive nous, his strategic instincts to just kill Trent on this apron. That was fantastic. We've got some other wonderful counters. Again, you get the impression watching Jay White that he's a professional wrestler, a combat athlete who studies tape and actually watches his opponent. He's aware that Trent does a fire up when he's thrust into the barricade and comes back with a spear. So Jay White just knees him in the face in response to it. That was brilliant. Of course, um, there's some wonderful further counter exchanges leading up to the finish, which saw um, Trent attempt Storm Zero and in an absolutely exquisite counter, the sort of thing that makes the most sense when you analyse the guys' move sets respectively beforehand, but. Only they are capable of actually delivering it. And he reverses it into the Blade Runner for the one, two, three. This was so great. And I'm going to get a little bit annoyed when I watch Jay White in New Japan do the stalling again. Because he can do this act without any... And I understand he's not going for pops. But he can trim the fat of that act. Mm. Once he's realizing that I can't do five minutes, it's TV. I can instead tell my story in a more refined way. Just start doing that from now on. I didn't think when I watched Jay White mature as a New Japan headliner that he could do TV wrestling quite as phenomenally as he did it for me on Rampage. Trimmed the fat, trimmed the stalling, trimmed the cheap heat, and he still got over as this incredibly snidey little strategic heel on the compact TV platform. Trent was a great opponent. I thought this was a great TV main event. Uh, what are your thoughts on all of it?
1: Yeah, we said this a few weeks ago and Dynamite was going off the rails. Place some restrictions on yourself because restrictions make for discipline. Yes. Discipline makes for a better show overall. And that like was summed up kind of there in your assessment of how Jay White didn't have to get to the point because I think that undermines what he does in those New Japan matches. But he's obviously, they're far too liberal with how much he's allowed to do. And I would argue even maybe Gado himself quite likes it because it, like it, it felt like he was working under advice when he first started doing it in New Japan. It was like, and then he does it once and then backstage geters like, you know, you can do four of them. And he's like, four. Yep. Like make them make him wait, make him want it, all that sort of stuff. But in this era of 40 minute New Japan main events, it was just becoming draining as yes. a result. And it was taking way too long for Jay White to get to the point. Which again, I think that's why Jay White is a pretty good G1 wrestler, because there's a the idea is that all of them are against the clock. And I know 30 minutes isn't ten on TV, but it's the same principle applies. And I welcome more of that in within AEW's extremely tight time constraints. I'll I'm like you. I love Jay White whilst being very aware and understanding of people's criticisms yeah, of him. Um that's a good way of um, it. But it, cause it took me a while to get him. And then when I did, I just kind of like fell head over heels for him. And it was cause of performances like this. Um, Yeah, Trent cast as a perfect. (laughs) Trent is not going to be the John Moxley that I think people thought he was going to be, but that doesn't mean he can't have these really explosive matches, the type of which we've seen in small bursts from him from time to time. We talked about ten earlier on, another kind of perfect guy to beat that doesn't particularly lose any credibility, but can can go, can feel like he's competitive the whole way through. Um, I uh, so the event of no surrender. Spoilers for anybody that's not caught up with the Impact pay for you. I, I can't pretend to watch the whole thing. It's just there was a social media buzz for it, and there rarely is for Impact, for Jay White turning on um, Tamatonga, theoretically kicking the Gorillas of Destiny out of Bullet Club. This is a not insignificant development in terms of what Jay White does in AEW because the Young Books were quick on the bio to be like... I think they did the cry-laugh emoji and said, we never liked G-O-D anyway, yeah. or something like that. Tamatonga um, is an original, is he not? Yeah. So this is not, not big news within Bullet Club. And if... This is more Forbidden Door stuff than probably Tony Khan realised when he made that panicked Saturday. I am an actual Forbidden Door guy here because we're back sprawling over three promotions. And Jay White is a figure that cannot be trusted. And Adam Cole was there with a big smile when he arrived. The Young Bucks were less convinced. And big picture stuff that we love as relates to Kenny Omega and going back all those years. I don't think that's that's not going to impact things in AEW. And I haven't thought that about this, about the Impact stuff for a while. I've not needed to watch Impact and think, oh, how's that going to play out on television? Yeah. I feel like Jay White doing that is keeping his character heated, even if, I know we've got a you set know, setup that we'll talk about here with Orange Cassidy, but I think that is probably going to inform more of what happens with the likes of the Young Bucks and Adam Cole than anything he's going to do in AEW, at yeah. least in the short term.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because when Jay White was introduced on screen, and Young Bucks expressed their misgivings over what um, Adam Cole might be doing, he said, like, when you bullet Club, you bullet Club for life. Mm. It's like well, Tamatonga's not. Yeah. It'd be interesting if like the Young Bucks question that, or there's a story with uh, it's kind of a story with uh, the Young Bucks, um, Anderson and Gallows and um, Gorillas of Destiny, where they've alluded on being the elite and stuff that they think Tamatonga is just a bit of a knob. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of like a puff chest knob who kind of would be nothing without the bullet Club, right. so they, they can style this. Mm presumed plot hole um, and i'm interested to see how it actually plays out um, but in the post-match um orange cassidy and jay white have like sort of a confrontation which would indicate that they're having a match and now that i've realized so hang on we might at some point whether it's revolution or a dynamite main event we might be getting jay white versus orange cassidy ignore everything i said five minutes ago i'm a hack i'm a, I'm a hypocrite jay white can absolutely do a stalling then yeah. Like what if Jay White's the guy to wind up Orange Cassidy? Mm. What if they wind each other up in parallel? What if yeah. all of this stalling and slowly sort of crawling out of the ring when Jay White does it and then because uh, usually the whole idea is people get pissed off or he's stalling he's taking the piss. What if Orange Cassidy then just did it and then Jay White's the one to get rattled? Yeah. Just be Jay White.
1: It has loads of potential and I'm I know I'm always the low guy on Orange Cassidy because often I feel like his character um, results in better fantasy booking than some of the matches end up being. It's almost, he it encourages so much creativity, that character, that often then it doesn't manifest on the night. Yeah. Um, but, uh, over is over and stars are stars. And as soon as the two came face to face, I was just thinking, you son of a bitch, I'm in. Yeah. Like, you've got me again, AEW, with these random pairings, these these living match graphics that I didn't realise I wanted until I was shown it. Yeah. I wouldn't put it on Revolution. Um, I, know, I understand people's excitement of making a big list of matches and being like, wow, this looks unbelievable. Can we not learn some goddamn lessons? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like try and keep it to three, maybe three and a half. Ten, like, ten matches is going to be too long. You get, Something is going to suffer as a result. And of all things, I actually think White-Cassidy could be that match. Like, something always loses to those bigger cards. I cars. think
2: they would have the crowd in three minutes. If they do the bit where J.Y. does the stalling, and Orange cassidys like, ah, this mm. is exactly my speed. And just the subversion of J.Y. being rattled. Like... When we talk about Tony Khan being the Booker of the Year, it's not just for these like sprawling sagas with your MGFs and your punks and your and your pages versus your Omegas. Just he's realized, ah, uh, people are taking the Forbidden Door thing very literally, as they should. It's the forbidden door, not just let's sign a free agent. And he's thought, right, okay, let's get Jay White in because it technically counts as forbidden door. Yes. There's a best friends versus super click elite dynamic that he can easily slot into being part of the uh, Bullet Club. But just the idea of Jay White versus Orange Cassidy on the very basis of that fantasy booking spot I've just laid out is like, that's actually quite genius that. It's answered a criticism
1: as well because I saw a, I I wish I could remember the person that tweeted this, I apologise, but I saw a tweet um, regarding the Cody matches that never happened and the guy who was tweeting ran out of characters. Like, I don't mean run out of wrestlers. I mean, run out of characters in the tweet because there was that many names. He just kept going and going and going and going and there wasn't enough space to fill out all the people that Cody could have faced because he does sort of dawdle sometimes or do the Dynamite star versus Job pairing. This is a perfect example. Jay White comes in and theoretically his second or third match is going to be one of the ones that you would have seen in a side-by-side in an old, like, New Japan versus AEW forbidden door graphic Twitter thread. Like, this is what people want when they're asking for... You've got loads of stars now. Start putting them against each other rather than keeping them in like in little separate uh, undefeated streaks all the time. So I was pleased to see this, if nothing else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, just on that Cody thing, I understand that, yes, they left so much money on the table and maybe it does hint towards the fact that AEW could sort of... not completely change, but just... Get on with it a little yeah. bit with its booking, but Cody put the right people over yeah. and he picked his spots and he beat people to then get the, the heat back to then put over the other people. So I do think he put over in MGF, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara more productive, long term results with genuine consequences rather than just having a dream match with Hangman Page. But then it, what's going to happen is that three weeks after Revolution, when I see a certain dynamite card, I'm going to think. Get to the goddamn point. Yeah. Because you're taking the absolute piss. But that was the Rampage review. Yet another really easy, hot 7.5 out of 10. Um, Is that enough? Is that what you envisaged when Rampage is? Is it a compromise that you're willing to accept? Because even though they don't sort of get you on hooks ahead of the shows, when they're finished, you think, well, that was better than most TV shows. That was an hour. (laughs) Um, So let us know your thoughts on Rampage as a whole as it settles into this decidedly beef-flavoured, Status, but more often than not, B plus at least in mm. terms of quality. I still want Danielson Kingston matches of that caliber, but you can't run a. Well, top they're both of it. B plus players. That's fine. Jesus Christ. On that note, <laughs> we will end this podcast. and um, you can follow us all at Whatculture WWE on Twitter to let us know those thoughts. Uh, whilst you're there, you can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamflet. You can follow me at M um, Sidgwick. Once again, you can follow us all at Whatculture WWE. Do not forget to subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcast from, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever. And until then, we will see you soon.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinns.